I'm Julian Brandt and you're listening to Scouted Chance. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 8 of Scouted Says. I'm Jack Grimsey alongside Connor Garrett. We've been off for a while, hope you enjoyed, um, it's not really even the holidays anymore, hope you've enjoyed your winter if you're in the, the northern hemisphere and your summer if you're in the, the southern hemisphere. But yeah, anyway, we're back and this week we're going to be talking a lot about manager transitions because this is a popular time in the season to do that. So how's it going, Connor? I'm great, how are you? Good, good. Been obviously we've all been busy working on that scouted handbook. It's going to be coming out soon. We had to push it back to February, but February's right around the corner, so you won't have to wait too much longer. Yeah, fingers crossed it all gets done. Um been a really exciting time of year for the for the football. Um it's sort of been a shame that we've missed out on like so many big stories of the past month, but you know, if the Bundesliga has allowed an international break, you know, me and Jack are mostly sort of concentrated on the Bundesliga. We weren't going to make a podcast for a month and a half, were we? So, um, yeah, I'm just looking forward to getting back into it. Where shall we start? Yeah, I think, um, and yeah, wanted to wanted to let everyone know that we are going to be doing some stuff on the transfer window in our next episode because young players and them moving clubs that can have a big impact on their career. But what we want to talk about today is managers and how transitioning from managers either at the end of the season, but specifically in the middle of the season can really have an impact on young players' career. Yeah, I mean, obviously, at, at this point in the season, you've been getting a lot of coaches coming in, um, basically because you've, you've got this sort of the transfer window, and it's the sort of time in the season where if you're going to make a change, it's sort of at the point where the, a manager can sort of stamp his mark, especially in the leagues with the winter breaks. I mean, obviously, like Spain and that do have winter breaks that aren't quite as long, so you don't get as much time to train. But in the Bundesliga, you've pretty much had pre-season again uh, just not quite as long um, so managers in those leagues have had sort of time to do it so it wasn't that surprising to see like a spate of managerial changes in the Bundesliga going into Christmas because uh, yeah there's you know a little bit of a, obviously going to be a little bit of a sway in like what personnel come in and out in terms of playing staff as well as managers over the, over the winter and then sort of getting that idea over in training the earlier you can do it the better so I think it's really been like January is probably one of the biggest months, and then once you get towards the end of the season again, and you're just sort of looking for desperate sort of measures to stay up, and that's another big one. Generally, the impression I get is that a lot of players who, a lot of managers that come in sort of halfway through the season, um, even if they themselves aren't like firemen to like sort of sort out everything, like say if the team are doing actually okay and a manager's left of his own accord to go somewhere else, or if the team are doing badly but actually it's the manager's fault. Quite often they'll still bring in a couple of sort of like firefighter players to, to sort of you know make their own mark on the the team, but it might not necessarily be with like such a view to the long term future. Um, I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, it's it's. I think it's a good point you bring that up. The firefighters and really there are kind of two strategies you could bring in. You could employ here is that okay? We're going to fix the problem and sort it out in the summer. Or maybe we're going to go down, but this new boss is going to help us get back up if we do, and we're going to come up with come up with young players and not waste a bunch of money on transfers and sink sink ourselves even further if that's a thing. Yeah, I because mean, you know some some leagues are pretty decided at at the bottom of Serie A. The three teams that are in the relegation spots, they're probably going to go down. Yeah, but, but and same, same as in Spain. Yeah, I mean, I think like. At this point in the season, nothing is entirely decided. Like, if you bring in a manager and he does a good job, you definitely have like the chance of staying up. Uh, and I'm I'm thinking of well, like, in in 
in Italy, the teams 18, 19, 20, Crotone, Palermo, Pescara, 10, 10, and 9 points, and Empoli in 17th have 21. So it's one spot, and it, it's a gap more than the points they've attained in 20 games this year. So, I mean, that's... I feel like that one is fairly decided, sadly. Yeah, but, but I mean... You know, in the Premier League, in the Premier League, we can use that example today. Julian Lutz got signed for Sunderland. Yeah. <laughs> why? Absolutely Why? And, you know, there's David Moyes getting the old boys back together. Steven Pinar, Victor Nietzscheby, um, I think Jack Rodwell maybe I saw. I don't know. Everyone, he's bringing in old players. And, yeah, that's really a contrast of something that happened almost almost a year ago. I think 18 days in the future from today when um, a year ago Julian Nagelsmann was brought in from or at Hoffenheim from the U19 team. He was the coach. And... You know, ever since then, he's taken off. Yeah, and I mean, the thing I was going to point out, Nagelsmann, when you talk about Italy, I mean, obviously, teams on so many, so few points when the next up are like so high, uh, generally aren't going to go down. But then, like Hoffenheim in February last year, they looked dead and buried and they stayed up quite impressively in the end. I mean, obviously, they came, what, 15, but, you know, they didn't look for like the last month two months of the season they didn't look like they were going to go down and pretty much for the whole time that he was coaching them until the end of the season they didn't look like a relegation team so yeah I mean if you do make the right choice even if there's a gap then it can change things or at least you can get some sort of positive momentum going forward um, I mean I remember a few years ago Freiburg bringing in Christian Strike at the winter break um, and then I think they only stayed up um by the skin of their teeth um, at the end of the season, but then in the next series, in the next season, sorry, uh, managed to um, actually get into Europe, um, and that, you know, that that's quite a special thing for a club of Freiburg stature to be in Europe, and that started the roots of that were in the season before, and the same happened with Gladbach as well under Lucien Favre uh, when he was brought in um, back in February 2011. Um, you know, they they looked like they were down, but you know, a very good coach managed to get the best out of the good players at his disposal that he had, managed to get the players that maybe weren't so good to at least do their job properly. Um, and yeah, stayed up by the skin of their teeth in the playoff um, and then got into the Champions League the season after. So it's, I mean, it, it, we're at a pivotal point where you can actually change the next 18 months of your season. Um, so Yeah, at least, at least, because if you, I mean, obviously if you go down, you're not going to be in the Champions League probably for at least five years, but realistically but you know like it's nice to see that that guy's like a Nagelsmann he comes in they won seven of their 14 remaining games this year they're still undefeated they're the only team in the in the big leagues that's still undefeated yeah, across I mean, Europe and they're and I mean last year he was playing a little different strategy more open because sometimes you they only drew two times under him last season I think this year they've drawn like eight times or something I thought it was already, or something like that. Yeah, it's, yeah at least a, t- a ton of times. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have sort of discredited. Yeah, ten times, ten times, only seven wins, but they haven't lost, and so they're in third. But yeah, I think a lot of people have actually said because obviously in the big five leagues now, Hoffenheim are the only unbeaten team. But a lot of people are like, well, at, at the winter break, they'd only won six games, and it's sort of like, well, and and obviously they've played fewer because of the winter break as well. It's sort of like, well, yes, but they're still unbeaten, and like obviously not being beaten is still sort of very good in itself and like if they had been beaten in like loads of those 10 games where they've not been quite good enough to get full points then 
they obviously wouldn't be as high up in the table as they are. They wouldn't they wouldn't be unbeaten. So yeah, still like what he's doing is really really impressive, and it's sort of I think the model for what a lot of clubs, especially in Germany at the moment, are wanting to do. Like promoting from within is a massive trend in Germany at the moment. Um, and- or even even buying other other German or German raised youngsters from other clubs' academies. Hoffenheim have bought a, lo- a lot of players like Karim Demmerbay from. He was bought from Hamburg for like a million and change, and you know they have they have guys like that that have came in. Let me just go back to their squad. I think Nadim Amiri. Yeah, he's. he's I think he was, was from the youth system itself, but um, yeah, they sort of. It seems to be that like the the transfer policy is bringing these players that are actually quite cheap, but have the potential to play in the first division straight away. Uh, and do it at a good level like Demir Bay has done this season uh, they've already signed Florian Grilich for next season so although they've lost uh, Seb Rudy and uh, uh, Nicolas Sula uh, you know they could definitely continue that if Marcus Minis to stay there I mean yeah bring, like, like bringing in like Kevin Vogt from Cologne he was someone who's kind of proven he was cheap and yeah, and they got like, system a little better, I guess. Is it Hubner from Ingolstadt as well? Like, yeah, just these smart deals. Like, it, that's why they're doing so well as well as the manager. But he's he's the sort of one now that bigger clubs might be. So sort of, I don't know. I, I mean, last season it was like Schalke weren't particularly doing well because you know they always seem to be underachieving. Um, and looked at Augsburg and what Marcus Feinzer was doing and was like, yeah, let's have him. So it's 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 getting to the point where if there is a bigger club that are sort of thinking shall we make a move in a different direction? If they don't have someone like a Nagelsmann in their own academy, which, let's face it, it's very rare that you have a coach of that calibre just ready to get promoted. At that age. Nagelsmann's 29 right now. Yeah, I mean, obviously most teams aren't going to be like, oh, we need to get a guy in his 20s to manage us. Um, but that's that's another another string to Nagelsmann's bow. Uh, but they will, um, they'll be like, oh, well, we haven't got anyone that we want to promote now. But we know that if we put Nagelsmann in or someone else, then they're going to do the job that we that we know that they can do this job. So it's it's going to be interesting to see for me if like he's now linked with sort of slightly bigger jobs. And I mean, over the Christmas break, obviously Gladbach uh, replaced Andre Schubert, which is like a long narrative that I've been talking about. Uh, and I was sort of quite excited very briefly and then saw the link with Dieter Hecking who is just sort of one of these firefighter guys who isn't a particularly sort of interesting... He's just a man manager. He was there to kind of manage the stars at Wolfsburg and then it still blew up. Yeah, exactly. And like, um, it's sort of one of those things where you can sort of see he's a short-term solution but he's on a reasonably long deal. He's 18 months. Um, And it's sort of like really the mistake this in the last summer was maybe that Gladbach gave Schubert a longer contract um, like in towards the like when they were doing well with him as a caretaker manager uh, it was too short sighted you mean yeah I mean, they could have been thinking in the summer why don't we look at like Marcus Weinzer at Augsburg who had been making I mean it's sort of quite obvious that he was at the limits of what he could do with that squad um, and might be looking for a new challenge obviously Schalke asked him managed to get him to do it um, I don't see why a club like Gladbach might not have been able to make a similar move as well. So for me, when you see these like really, really talented young managers doing really well, it is disappointing when then other clubs that are slightly bigger make slightly less aspirational choices. Um, yeah, yeah, I'd kind of, you know, play, play it safe a little bit and, you know, it's boring. 
Yeah, and I mean, um, we were looking at, we're talking about the Premier League recently, and obviously Palace have made one of the more unimaginative appointments of the, the window. I mean, obviously, there have been clubs that have made slightly imaginative appointments before and it's not worked. I mean, obviously, with Villa and Remy Gard or Tim Sherwood or whatever, I mean, neither of those really worked um, for Villa. Um, obviously, why are in the Championship now? Um, but Di Matteo didn't work. <laughs> I mean, that was so obvious. It's is... not even imaginative. That's just like, oh, yeah, you must be good. But but not maybe not imaginative. I don't know is the word, but idealistic. It's like okay, we want this guy who's going to play a nice football and is going to play young players a little bit and develop mostly develop our players and you know it still can blow up in your face. Compared yeah, I mean, to compared to bringing in Pulis. Yeah, I mean from from Palace's point of view, uh, they've obviously brought in Pulis before to finish that season. They've obviously now brought in Allardyce and like. That does make sense because, like, both of them have got really, really good records of fighting against the drop. Um, I mean, you really just have to look at what they've done with the clubs that they've been at um, to show that they have, you know, had success. But then, I mean, they've not pushed on to like a huge amount more than just sort of being lower mid table, upper mid table. Um, and when you look, you look at a club like I don't know Crystal Palace in the summer, they were spending like they had like quite like some quite big ambitions. Um, spending thirty million on Christian Benteke is, uh, you know, a big, yeah, um, a big sign. And then I don't think it's the most aspirational choice. So, like, obviously, you have to be like, well, are we going to stay up? Are we not? But you you look at I don't know a club like Southampton when they were in a relegation battle a few years ago. They brought in Poch- uh, Mauricio Pochettino, and then that for the long term future of the club has really worked. It's really brought them on to being a club that challenged for Europe. So. I don't know. I think it's it's one of those things where obviously everything you do is going to be a risk, but you don't ch- tend to get a reward without making sort of a bold appointment. I don't think. I can't think of yeah, a, yeah, yeah. There's a boring choice that's then gone on to be really, really great. Yeah, it's it's. I think you're going to be hard pressed to find something like that. But you look at you know, let's say in the Premier League, let's look at Swansea because. I think they're, as a club, they don't have a ton of money, so they know that they're going to have to kind of like hit the lottery like Southampton to have success and to get to Europe. And they they did, obviously, before by winning the League Cup, and that's one route you can pursue. But they would also like to play nice football and use some of their youth. And I don't know, some of that was started by Roberto Martinez back almost a decade ago now. And... Over over the course of the past few years, mostly since Gary Monk left, I guess we could probably start then, December 2015. They had an interim manager, Alan Curtis, who just worked as the interim again, but they brought in Francesco Guidolin, and that it didn't really work. I mean, it did and, sort of in the short term, because they kept him up, but then he wasn't backed in the window of the summer, if, I'm, if I recall correctly, so it's sort of... Yeah, he was dismissed in October because, yeah, they got off to a poor start. Like, it worked at the end of last season, it kept him up, but if they were going to get rid of him, you know, let's replace him in the summer. Yeah. And that's what you're saying that, that Gladbeck should have done, right? Yeah, and I mean, also, if you then look at the next appointment after Guidelin, you've got Bob Bradley, who, I mean, I was saying, like, maybe clubs could make more imaginative uh, sort of appointments. Bob Bradley was a very imaginative appointment, like, you can't fault that, because it's a guy, I mean, it was his last job in... French League there. Um I mean, he's obviously had some sort of. He's done some good work with the United States and Egypt, um, and and Starbuck, Starbuck in Norway. Yeah, and so he's had like a big thing, but like the step up to the Premier League from there, I think, is 
noticeable from like the French second tier in Norway and Egypt. Um, so his his last sort of big job, if you can even call the United States a big job as a manager, um, was what seven years ago, six six years ago at the time of appointment. So it's yeah, I thought and, was, and he he came seemed... in in October, no preseason, no chance to buy in his own players. That's you know it was kind of set up for failure. Yeah, I mean he was a victim of circumstance, but also. You have to like maybe the appointment as well wasn't too smart. So, yeah, he wasn't a firefighter considering the circumstances. The house was ablaze, and they brought in someone who was going to build a new house like during the fire. It wasn't going to work. <laughs> Lovely, <laughs> that's that's delightful. But then obviously now they've brought in Paul Clement, who his only real sort of experience of being a manager was sort of not doing particularly great at Derby. Um, he's obviously been at a lot of high pro- high profile clubs as Carlo Ancelotti's assistant, so he's got a very good pedigree, and you know he was even in the running for the England job uh, in the autumn of this year after Allardyce's debacle. Um, and, yeah, like I mean, most people that worked with him seem to have like very positive things to say. Um, but it, it sort of seemed like, I mean, that is a bold appointment. But then, obviously, he's only had a couple of games, but not a horrible performance against Arsenal. And then going away to Anfield and coming back with all three points, given the wretched form that's out, that Swansea have had all season... It sort of looks like it's a risk that may have paid dividends, and I, I don't know. Like I, I wouldn't say he's like a firefighter in the classic sense. He's not got any top level experience as a, a an all right manager. But, no, he's he's forty four, and you're right. It's really kind of his first. I mean, he picked up one point six four points per game with Derby, which is you know they've been in the championship forever. It's all right. It's not great, but maybe now the time is right for him to to step up to the big time. Yeah, I think it it was sort of a case of now or never, isn't it? You know, sort of in his mid forties, um, hasn't had experience at the top level, and it's it's sort of his time to properly cut his teeth and prove that, like, yeah, I can kick off. I mean, yeah, spell at Derby wasn't awful, but you know they were favourites to go up, and obviously didn't really end up competing too well uh, for that. So it's, it it sort of he had to go and go back down to the assistant level and. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping he does really well because you look at him, he's, he's obviously got quite a lot of nice ideas about how football's supposed to be played. Um, yeah, he's, he's spent three hundred over 300 matches alongside Ancelotti on the, on the touchline. You know, that's yeah. you're learning from the best directly. Yeah, and it's the fact that he's been at uh, like Chelsea, uh, PSG, Real Madrid, Bayern with Ancelotti. He's obviously held in high regard by, you know, one of the best managers in the game at the moment. Um, so, uh, or at least one of the most successful. Um, yeah. It's sort of as, I don't know, you, you often see like people saying, oh, young English coaches aren't used at all. And you're sort of like, well, there aren't any there. But then obviously, you know, Clement is there now and he is getting a chance. So it's, yeah, I mean, if he succeeds, then that's sort of very good to like fight back against the narrative of like, oh, we keep giving these foreign managers a chance. And it's like, well, when they're there, like, uh, I mean, Eddie Howe as well at Bournemouth, not really related to this because he has been at the club since they were in League One now. Um, but yeah, it, 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 but it is, it is the club trusting in their own and believing that he can, he can get it done. Although, yeah, yeah you know, I mean, obviously from his side of things, he dropped down from, he, he, he did really well with them originally, got them up to league one, um, and then went to Burnley. Didn't really put up too many trees there. Obviously his, his going back to Bournemouth from Burnley, like dropping down the league. Uh, has worked out really well for both of them because then English manager Sean Dyke went in and has done really well. And then Eddie Howe has got two promotions and is, yeah, playing really well in, in the league this season with Bournemouth. So it's, 
yeah, I mean, that must be like one of the best like managerial changes in recent years for, for two clubs. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's sort of one of those things where, you know, there are a lot of narratives about who like coaches or what clubs want who as a manager. And I, I don't know, I think a lot of them, you, you sort of pick who's out there, don't you? Yeah, yeah, you, you kind of have the idea, well, at least hopefully you have an idea of who you want to bring in before you go and dismiss the old coach. That I think that's the idea. It doesn't always work out like that because of some circumstances, but I think you want to bring in someone who you know how they're probably going to react to your squad because we look at really kind of what our focus was going to be, but how it can affect the young players in your squad. You know, if the firefighter comes in, he's bringing in some of these older guys. What's yeah, that? Like, and also, yeah, I think you're right, but it's it's sort of interchangeable in the sense that if Sam Allardyce was still England manager now and uh, Pardew had been sacked by Palace at the exact same time, they would have probably still made a very similar appointment. Like, I don't know, maybe even like a like Hodgson or something if he's decided. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that, that's why it's like, it's interesting why some clubs choose to do that. Yeah, you know, because you know, you know, like you're saying, Palace, they're all, they were always going to do that. Yeah, and it is. They it's weren't going to. They weren't going to go get Paul Clement. Yeah, and it's it's interesting then to see, obviously, in Germany, where they sort of already know for years before who the next coach is going to be. It's like when um, when uh, Dortmund appointed Thomas Tuchel as coach, uh, there was like a, a Mainz on their like Twitter page, I think it was, posted like a picture of like. Um, Jurgen Klopp, Thomas Tuchel, and then Martin Schmidt, who at the time had been coach for a couple of months, um, like in a Dortmund training, like coach uniform, saying like 2019, and then yeah, the, yeah, yeah, I remember that. The guy he's like lined up to follow him, um, oh Sandra Schwarz. They had a picture of him next to like these three guys saying like Dortmund manager in 2023 or something, and it's like that. That is obviously a very good system because you then have a direction as a club, regardless of who's there. Um, and you've, you're sort of grooming someone to be the next guy. Um, yeah, no, it's it's maybe depressing, I guess, for some fans to say, oh, they're just poaching a manager, but you know that the club has a plan when they're like, okay, yeah, it's <coughs> something that, it's a part of life, it's something that's going to happen, and we're always thinking about the future of our club. Yeah, and in re- realistically, if you're not a top club, you're not going to keep a manager for a long it's time. It's just like your players. Yeah, and, and like obviously, a lot of these big, cl- these managers can really boost your um, your profile as a club or, you know, your stature in the game. Um, I mean, obviously, I, I'm, I'm assuming that a lot of the audience have read Soconomics because we both have, we're essentially laymen. Um, but, <laughs> like, in that they say, like, basically, most managerial changes, um, essentially, you regress to the mean at some point. So you might have been really bad uh, and then you come in and maybe you'll sort of have the, the new manager effect of everyone trying to the first couple of games play well, but then it's basically yeah. it's basically kind of saying your your players are going to play as well as they do because they're players and they play. Yeah. You know, it's like the I don't know. It's a, I think it's I don't know who said it, but a good manager can improve this the squad by ten percent. A bad one can diminish it the effect of the squad by thirty percent. You know, so really it's going to be without too much deviation. Yeah, but then you look at you look bad at player, bad players are bad, good players are good. Yeah, and I mean, essentially, the argument of that book is that you basically should expect to do as well as your wage budget in comparison to the rest of the league. 
because if you're paying players more, then they tend to be better. I mean, you, obviously there are clubs that are awfully run and don't do as well, but like as a general correlation between in all of the top leagues, that's sort of how it works. But yeah, because incompetence across the whole league is going to average out, you know, um, like yeah, by the generally. by the board or whatever. But but then you look, you, there are coaches that have like obviously bucked that trend. And um, as a Mainz fan, um, obviously sort of wasn't really around when this happened because it was, you know, as a as a young boy, didn't speak German at the time. Um, but Jurgen Klopp at Mainz um, sort of took them from like a lower half, um, side to Bundesliga side to. Well, the top division uh, to the Bundesliga. Yeah, and now and even after he's gone, they're a really respectable side that's probably going to finish always mid table for the foreseeable future. Well, yeah, and like, unless Tuchel, they screw something up, Tuchel kicked them on as well. So it's sort of like a yeah a thing where if you have a manager that's sort of in it and it's sort of, that he sees it as sort of a project, then you can do really well. And the other one that springs to mind in Germany, at least, is Lucien Favre. Um, I guess the, the the guy that you'd think of in England is Eddie Howe with Bournemouth um but uh equally there are you know a couple of the couple of the guys who've been at Swansea before and uh you know many of the smaller clubs that have come up into the Premier League in the last maybe 10-15 years um a lot of the success has been down to them looking at clubs that have kind of made changes this this winter it was a little before for Wolfsburg when they sacked Dieter Hacking and brought in Valerian Ismail obviously we mentioned Hacking is at Gladbach now but at Wolfsburg I think they've tried to take the right steps in the transfer market this winter to prepare for a squad where younger players can have more emphasis or more focus. Yeah, I mean, obviously you've got Eunice Marley, who's just outside of our age, age range, but is still a relatively young player, very talented, um, and is sort of like one of those players that, I mean, obviously Draxler is younger, but and is slightly higher rated, so he's gone for quite a big fee, and then they've managed to probably replace him pretty well already with just what, a 12 and a half million euro transfer straight out straight up so that's so who else they got uh, Riquetli Pazur and um, Paul Georges and Tep um, like all of them sort of reasonably low fee but high reward players I think yeah yeah Mali and Tep and then Bazor. that's three guys they were all about 10 million so just came in under under what they sold Draxler for, and that's gonna that's really gonna improve your squad a lot more when you're adding I think three players that are gonna go in than having one big star. Yeah, I mean obviously it can work against you in some ways. So like when Liverpool uh, lost Suarez or when Spurs lost Bale, rather than buy a star to replace them, they bought like five players that will make the squad way better. I think long term it's made Liverpool a much better team where since Suarez has left because obviously, although in that season where they had Suarez like firing all cylinders the whole year, they finished second. Um, before he sort of came in, they were like 10th. And then after he's left, they've had a sort of a larger squad with more talent. And the same goes for Spurs. I mean, obviously with Bale, they were doing really well, but they're a better team than they were sort of before Bale became that sort of key player for them because they bought in so many players. I mean, a lot of them didn't even work out, but the fact that you sort of have the money and can still sort of, I don't know, sort of sell players for a decent fee because, you know, like a, a Chadley or someone still has a reputation. Um, I, I think like both of those in the long term have really helped the club. But I think Wolfsburg, 
I mean, I mean it's like the aftermath of the Kevin De Bruyne sale. Yeah, exactly. now yeah. they're seeing that because they spent that on Drexler. That didn't work, but they didn't lose too much money on him, so they were able to spend it and get get three new players. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the Draxler one is is sort of different in the sense that Draxler's not much better than any of the ones that they brought in, um, but because of the contractual situation, they've managed to make a lot of money on him. So it's, I mean, like this window for them has been really good. If Ismail can sort of do sort of really well in this half of the season, um, then you know they're they're going to be ha- they're going to be doing a lot better than they were under Hacking. But yeah, I think the the jury's still out on him. Um, they looked a little bit better in the last sort of few games, and the fact that their squad's now a bit better as well, it's sort of less egos as well, hopefully for them. Um, so it's I don't know, like obviously it, it, it's hard to say because. Yeah, I mean, you you did your really long piece for what was it now? The, the, yeah, for Paste, I wrote a wrote a big thing on them, and there's a lot of variables because the Volkswagen scandal and they're a few years ago they used to get a hundred million a year, now they're only getting seventy only. It's <laughs> like Jesus, you. I think you can figure it out, but um, I don't know. Ismail, he was appointed in November. He's forty one. His contract's only till the end of next season, so they they're not going to have a huge bout if they want to replace him, but. They are giving him a chance. Yeah, no, I, mean, I think it, it's sort of nice to see him sort of being backed over the the winter. Um, he, I mean, th- there was that game that they played right before Christmas against Gladbach, where it's like the loser of this game is going to get the sack, and it's sort of like, well, Ismail's done a lot better. Like, he's not done; he's done a lot less, at least, to deserve the sack than Schubert did at that point. So, it's, yeah, I mean, they obviously had a bad sort of start to the season, but. I don't know, I think the fact that he's now had the time to work with the team, the team sort of, I don't know, seems to be a slightly little bit more harmonious, at least from the way that they played on uh, on the weekend. Um, yeah, grinding out a one niller against 10 men Hamburg. Yeah, I mean, like... <laughs> Impressive stuff. These, these sort of things, it's, it takes a little bit of a while to get going. I think they, like, they didn't look at in at any trouble at any point, even before Hamburg went down to... No, the no. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean, but like, uh, but yeah, like their their attackers, Mali and and Tep started, so they're gonna they are gonna take some time to click with the team. But they do have they do have some good attacking players, and they're in thirteenth now. I think they jumped up one place or something. But they were they were only three points or so uh, above the relegation zone, so it really was it was time to to make some moves in the market, regardless of if they were gonna get that much money for Drexler. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, it's it's that's an interesting case. I think, uh, yeah, we maybe maybe have time just to hit on one one more point, and that's, I I think when you want to make the change, and like you're saying, if if you have a winter break, that's good. You can do it and train and get to know the players. But sometimes people are going to be dismissed in March. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of you, you do it based on form, don't you? So if there's some, if you've won five games in a row going into Christmas regardless of if you then if you've done badly for the rest of the season it's a bad time to make a change because like, although you could still be in danger of relegation you're you've got a bit of momentum but it's at, it's, it's at the point where you sort of aren't in form or there are some sort of clear structural issues in the team that's when you have to sort of start thinking about it and I mean like Andrew Schubert at Gladbach for me is the microcosm of this like they started off and there's caretakership really well last season um, like a very good reaction to losing the first five games under Lucien Favre in the league 
Um, it sort of got it then got to the point. So they were they started off by regressing to the mean. Yeah. So essentially, you know, they but after about 10, 12 games, they were basically roughly where you'd have expected them to be if things had gone normally throughout the whole Hinrunda. Um, so if 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 Falver hadn't lost the first five games, but had just sort of played at his sort of regular level by by about December, they were sort of where you'd have expected them to be. But they had this like incredible sort of um, head of steam building up against them. But you could also, if you were looking and watching their games week in week out, which at that point I was, um, you could see that there were structural issues in the team. Um, Schubert was sort of changing between a back three and a back four quite a lot. A lot of the players sort of positionally didn't seem to know where they were supposed to be going, but the finishing rate was really, really high. They were creating quite a lot of chances because the players, a lot of the players were just in form. They were reacting really well to his man-managership, um, which I think is difficult to call into question uh, even now. Like A lot of the players still seem to have like enjoyed working with him. Um, but it, it got to about November, and there was the, the game that actually changed my opinion... Um, I mean, I sort of like wasn't sure about him throughout the, the November of that year, but it, they actually played Bayern and it and won three uh, one in the end. But in the first half, there were about five times where Jan Zomer was, was in a one on one with a Bayern player, and like basically it was because Kingsley Coman couldn't finish that day that <laughs> it went into the break at nil nil rather than like five nil down. And I was I was sort of I remember at, at half time being like really like they sh- they should be so far down. Ended up basically creating a few chances in the second half and sort of taking it in a smash and grab. Um, but after that, it sort of, the, the confidence sort of seemed to fall apart. And uh, So then it was even worse because it, it just covered up the, yeah, you know. It, basically, it covered it up. Um, so people were looking at this incredible reign of form, but then the sort of the game sort of throughout the end of November, sort of going into December, they weren't sort of playing. They were, they were the, the story of the game wasn't so great. It then got to sort of, you know the the finishing was really great. As soon as the finishing dried up, and this is what happened like, a couple of weeks later, you had a five nil loss. You had a four three loss in the cup to Bremen. You had like a really scrappy ended up winning because the players were capable of making moments game against Darmstadt. You go into the winter break, and actually it was sort of like, yeah, maybe they're not so great. And the winter break sort of calmed down their form. Um, and I'm so, I was sort of in the position. I was like, I don't know. The rest of the season, you can't really be like. Schubert needs to go uh, because he's done. He's, he's essentially done the job that he's supposed to be doing. But at the same time, going forward, is he the right person to the club? Absolutely not. Like he's shown that he's essentially taken the team backwards and how they're playing. Um, but you know, this reaction to having a slightly different regime, sort of seeing how it goes, is doing really well. So th- that's yeah. Kind of- so then, then basically, basically the finishing dried up and regressed back down to the mean, just the opposite of how their form went, went up. And by the time that the dust was settled, Schubert, his, his basically his peak maximum or his average level of the team was very easy to see that it was below the level that Favre had them playing at, you know? So it's like, sure, he... He made them play better for a while, but once he was settled in, and you could look at kind of the trend line, I guess, or the average of how he, his team was playing against how Favre's team was playing, it was clear that it was worse. Yeah, exactly. So basically, from I don't know, it must have been about February. Uh, if that sort, if that, I mean, I, mean, I think it was. I went, I went to the Mainz versus Gladbach at the end of January last year, uh, and I remember just thinking like. 
Gladbach are, they're playing so awfully. Uh, but obviously, at this point, they've been doing really well. Um, so it's sort of like, I don't know, I don't think he's the right person for the job. You get a lot of hate. Uh, but, you know, I sort of, I stuck to my guns and eventually was proven right, basically. Uh, so it was, you know, it was, it was quite, I felt quite bad uh, when he was sacked because it was like, is it because of me? But uh, at the same time, like, it was nice to be proven right. Yeah, yeah, even at the at that expense. But I think really, like, what's coming up in my mind now is the rumors of Claudio Ranieri being sacked by Leicester. Obviously, he started out and... Like, this season, maybe it's lesser regressing to the mean instead of last year being obviously brilliant. Yeah, like, I don't know, progressing to the maximum. Uh, or yeah, the like, way, way, way above their potential somehow. And maybe this year they've slipped a little bit because they do have some quality players and they should be a little bit above where they are now, but... I, don't, I think they're a better team than last season. I mean, the, the only sort of notable loss... a better squad, you mean? Was, Yeah, I mean, the only notable loss was Kante uh, to Chelsea... Um, yeah, but he's so good. Yeah, I mean, he was so good, but then <laughs> obviously replaced. They they brought a lot of players in. I don't know. I think the, the they maybe have yeah, they have they did money, appropriately but, spend money and and try to bolster the squad. You're right. Yeah, I mean, like you can't argue with like bringing like uh, Musa and Slomani and both of them are very good quality players. Um, it's just not worked out for them for whatever reason. Uh, so realistically, they should actually be better than they were last season. But because you know they they were so ridiculously. They were playing just ridiculously beyond their actual level, and like, there's no way that you can actually say that they weren't because like, there's no proof. The season before, the season after, and then the season where they were playing above their level, uh, and not even in a negative way. Like, it was really good to see, but like, yeah, it was it was completely a bow out of the blue, and I think we all knew that they weren't going to do so, quite so well. So it'll be interesting to see how they do in the rest of the season. But you sort of think like, particularly in Europe, I think you know because they've. They've been. They did their job in the in the Champions League in Europe, and they had a weak group, but they made it through. So we'll see. And the thing is, what did Leicester actually expect? Like this season with, with Ranieri, like he he's won the league, and that he could, but he could, I can't. If if they sack him, like oh my god, like I'm done with modern football because. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> I mean, unless he goes down, you know. Yeah, I mean, I guess understandably they don't want to go down the season after they've won the league. Personally, I'd find it really funny. Um, that would be hilarious. Um, but I don't know. I just think, it w- for me, if I was a Leicester fan, I would find it a little bit worse staying up by the skin of my teeth after we've sacked the league-winning manager like from just a complete bolt from the blue season rather than, uh, rather than just going down with the manager. I would rather go down with him than sack him. Yeah, and then because realistically, they're not going to survive with that much that they're going to yeah. be getting enough points to be clear of it. So it's, I, don't know, I think it's, it's a really funny scenario because... It is, it is. We all, um, we all expected it, so it's... No, it's just really funny because last year I bet on Villa to win the league and Leicester to get relegated. So obviously, like you were saying with Schubert, I think I was responsible for both, for both the opposite well, events no, happening. It's not like that because you were wrong. Like you were, you I know. wrong and I was right. <laughs> so... No, but you were saying res- responsibly, like you're like, oh, I feel responsible for like starting the the train. But yeah, basically <laughs> anything that I bet on, the opposite result's going to happen. So okay, so did you do it? You, so you basically saying you did it intentionally to get Villa sent down and for Leicester to win the league? Yeah, yeah. So you can thank me for that, <laughs> Leicester fans. Basically, a little bit of a scouted exclusive there. So anyone who listens to the yeah. podcast, 
blame Jack. It's his fault. Yeah, blame me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think in the in the coming weeks we're going to be having some other contributors on for for just short episodes talking about some of the players that they're profiling in the Scout of Football Handbook Two. So obviously, even Connor and I did some players. So maybe we'll be talking about those. Who is who is your favorite to to do Connor so far? Um, so of the four that I'm doing, um, probably my favorite player is Loris Carius. Um, however. Um, because of the way that 2016 ended, I haven't quite enjoyed writing it so far. Like, I'm hoping to bring it around, you know, bring some sort of narrative into there. Like, I don't know. Currently, it, the Word document on my computer is just Mignolet shit. And just seeing, <laughs> I don't know, I'm going to have to sort it out in the next few days. Um, but, um, I don't know, it was quite fun researching the one for Nico Alvedi because I really, really enjoy watching him, but I hadn't realised like how key he'd been. And it's actually sort of, one thing that I will say for Andrew Schubert is that he did give a lot of the young players in the Gladbach team a lot of time. So, like, basically, I'm covering both Andreas Christensen and Nico Alvedi, and both of them have made pretty much starting appearances in every game they're available for. So that'll be good for their careers in the long term. Um, so maybe you need players like managers that have no idea how to structure a defence or an attack um, just so you can bring these young players through. Maybe... It's all part of the circle of clubs and their lives. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So it's even if it ends up horrible and you were against it, then <laughs> eventually maybe he got some some youngsters to play. And if he didn't get relegated, it's okay. Um, that was kind of it's kind of the same. I'll pick another German defender, or Bundesliga defender, Nicholas Stark, who he's been he's been really playing a lot for Hertha Berlin since he was bought by them a couple of years ago, and. I don't know, it's just it's good to see these guys playing a lot, especially another one of my players, Renato Sanchez, like great first half of the year, same as Andre Duda, and then Duda Duda got hurt, so he hasn't he hasn't played for the past three months. But Yeah, I mean I think I with Nicholas Stark, like um quite a lot of the time I'll watch him and I won't realise that he's like in our age range because he's just such a mature player. Um so yeah, he, like, I think he's a good one to pick out. I know we're we're really excited to have that come out, I hope. All of you are as well. So for Connor Garrett, I've been Jack Grimsey. Thanks for listening to Scouted Says.